Iowa everywhere. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Heartland Flags and Gifts presents Legends and Listeners with Scott Docterman and Chad Leistico. Fly them high and fly them proud. Find your flag at heartlandflags.com. Breaking down the Big Ten from the Channel Seat Studios, this is Iowa Everywhere. Guy fans, Big Ten fans, and Iowans everywhere. You are locked into the Iowa Everywhere Network. My name is Chad Leistico, a longtime sports writer and columnist for the Des Moines Register. I cover the Iowa Hawkeyes, and I'm thrilled to be coming to you from the Channel Seed Studios to help bring you a new podcast with my competitor on the Hawkeyes beat. But first and foremost, a good friend, Scott Docterman of The Athletic. Scott, I don't know about you. Uh, I did not sleep that well last night because I was so amped for our pilot episode today. Uh, welcome, my friend, and I would love for you to tell folks about the background of the Legends and Listeners title and what we're going to be doing here. Well, Chad, it's great to be on with you in the Legends and Listeners podcast, and uh, I'm excited to join the Iowa Everywhere Network because I think this is a growing phenomenon in the in the uh, landscape and kind of filling a, a vacuum of sorts that I think people really would like to, to hear on a weekly basis, not only Iowa, but Iowa State and some of the other topics around the state. So legends and listeners, well, as we know, uh, it's uh, a title that's gotten all kinds of laughs over the years um, from legends and leaders back when the Big Ten's uh, highbrow divisional play, which actually wasn't that bad, Chad. I mean, you know, when you, other than the name, uh, competitive right. equality was great. But, uh, you know, we started to play with it a little bit when we had a Big Ten podcast back on The Athletic a few years ago, and legends and listeners kind of joking around. But now we've decided to apply it here to the Iowa Everywhere app and and, uh, and online. And I think it's, it's a phenomenal, uh, easy-to-remember podcast name, and uh, I'm thrilled to be working with you, Chad, uh, here at The Athletic, but also at uh, Iowa Everywhere. Absolutely. Legends and listeners will be brought to you each week by Heartland Flags and Gifts, which provides free shipping anywhere in the U.S., also delivers new products constantly, and has you covered with nearly every team, every sport, and every flag. Now is the perfect time to get your tailgating flags and gear for game days. I was checking out their website today, Scott, and they really do have everything. I even saw a James Madison flag for those of you who may be fans of the Dukes or our nation's fourth president. Visit <laughs> our friends at Heartland Flags and Gifts online at heartlandflags.com or in-store at 3719 Southwest 9th Street in Des Moines. And if you support them, that will help us bring you this podcast each and every week. And that is the plan, Scott. Uh, we are going to be coming to all of you uh, once a week uh, during the football season, naturally, because uh, we both cover the Hawkeyes. The conversation will center around Iowa, but we'll also delve into the Big Ten Conference. And our goal, Scott, we kind of discussed this, what the format would be, kind of hit four or five topics each show. 
you know, with one of those sort of being our main course, so to speak, something we can dive into at great length. Uh, so before we get to today's entree, Scott, let's order a drink, grab an appetizer. Uh, Iowa football uh, would be well short of a satisfying menu this season without Cade McNamara. And it appears, we don't know 100% for sure, but it appears based on what Kirk Ferentz told us Saturday at the Kids' Day scrimmage that the Hawkeyes dodged a major injury bullet with their transfer quarterback. Yeah, I thought as soon as I saw him go down, I know you did too, that it was like he kind of got up and walked back and pulled himself from the game or the scrimmage. And I went, oh, no, here we go. It's not like we haven't had enough to write about this year going all the way back to (laughs) – Brian's contract and uh, the the orange crush and lack of invasion uh, to now in the gambling and everything else. And then the the one piece that was the kind of the hope for everybody for Iowa related uh, to go down and then left the field was out for probably what close 45 minutes to an hour was in the training area. And I'm like, Oh no. So I, I don't know about you. I already wrote a, like a story that's basically insert, yeah, he tore his ACL. He's gone for the season, but luckily got to spike that, <laughs> which was uh, I was thrilled about. It's probably the first and only time I've ever been thrilled to spike a story I've already written. Um, and then uh, here we go. It's more in the day to day range. But Chad, what were your thoughts when you saw the the season go down in a cloud of rubber filament? Uh, well put uh, yeah i mean to me uh, and i know you're the same way scott uh, i take pretty detailed notes even during these things i know it's i know it's just a scrimmage just a practice you can't read too much into it but pretty much after that moment happened it was like nothing else in the practice really Mm -hmm. mattered it was just like uh this season is going down the tubes pretty quick. Uh, if it's going to be Deacon Hill, and that's no offense to Deacon Hill, he's just not even close to the level that Cade McNamara appears to be at. And so uh, so I absolutely was feeling the same thing. It was just sort of, uh, you know, as a sports writer, it's like you don't want, you know, it's like uh, what was the year that, well, Tom Brady, like, for example, got hurt in the first game of the season when you're just like, oh, and, you know, this season's over or whatever. Now, I don't think Deacon Hill was going to be Matt Castle, but, um, you know, it's just like, exactly. I mean, you want to have uh, something for, you know, uplifting for fans to look forward to. And it seemed like McNamara, you know, his numbers were kind of hit or miss, but I felt like his performance in the in the Kids Day scrimmage kind of validated what kind of the talk was that, you know, here's a, here's a highly skilled quarterback. Uh, now, it's We'll get to the offense a little later, Scott, but I was impressed with some of the deep shots he took, and I I thought he was pretty aggressive with some of his throws. I I know that's, you know, probably just practice or whatever, but, you know, he he fit some nice balls in there to uh, Caleb Brown. It was a 20-yard on third and eight. And then, of course, the two deep balls to Seth Anderson and Deontay Vines Mm -hmm. were really impressive. I mean, that's that just wasn't even possible last year. They would have been overthrows or, you know, unfortunately, I don't really want to get into who was and all of that. But I mean, I, I frankly, what I saw was a much more accurate quarterback, you know, able to place the ball, not only in the spot where it's least likely to be intercepted, but also complete and have receivers do something with it. He threw three interceptions, which at first everybody should be like alarmed, like, oh, no, you know, no, it wasn't anything like that at all. I mean, one was a 50-50 ball that between uh, what Caleb Brown and 
uh, Jamari Harris, I think. No, or was it? Yeah, Jamari, I think it was. I, I'm getting some of them mixed yeah, up. It was, there were it was, a lot of interceptions. Um, but, uh, you know, and Jamari came down with it. And it was like a play or two after Jamari got hit with a PI. So in some ways, you just say, hey, that's that's great defense. And Iowa has a very, very good defense. We know that. So completing passes at all in rhythm or routine against Iowa's defense is, is impressive. Um, you know, there was another legitimate interception. And then there was one that, you know, uh, the way the ball bounces, you know, bounced off uh, Luke Lachey's hands. He didn't quite have a handle on it and right into, I think it was Deshaun Lee. Um, that was TJ Hall. TJ Hall. Yeah. Yep. And Lee had the other one. I'm sorry. I'm getting them all mixed up, but because there were a lot and Deshaun Lee had two interceptions and looked really good. I thought so, but overall, I was impressed by the accuracy in which what we saw from from Caden McNamara, and that is the most important part statistically, you know, of this offense is to get above sixty percent completion percentage. He got it to sixty four two years ago. I think to me, he showed that he's capable of doing that. Uh, yeah, I, I was encouraged by that. It seems like all the talk is, is really positive around Cade, and you know the. Uh, Deacon Hill, the backup, uh, who is the backup now because Joe Labus has been hurt. Uh, certainly, he's been getting all the two reps. Reps. Uh, he'll probably be getting all the one reps this week, uh, regardless of how healthy Cade McNamara is. Uh, Labus is supposed to return, I think, maybe this week from practice. That was kind of the hope or from an injury he had since July, but he's way behind. So, uh, you know, Hill would be your guy if, uh, if, if McNamara can't go for any reason against Utah State, but it sounded like nothing serious. Obviously, we'll keep you updated if it's if it is. But uh, again, like we said, uh, sigh of relief for mm. for Hawkeye fans everywhere. Uh, the other big issue, kind of out of media day, more so, Scott was, of course, the gambling situation um, surrounding you know the Iowa program, the Iowa State program. Uh, I thought the most notable part of the day was that Noah Shannon spoke to the media. This was not something he had to do. Coaches did not make him. To, do it. They asked him if he wanted to do it. And he said, yeah, I, I will do it. And uh, he came out and spoke. I thought he was really impressive. Uh, Noah becomes, I believe, I mean, unless I'm missing something, the first athlete at either Iowa or Iowa State who had been flagged in the sports gambling investigation to talk to the media since everything broke in May. Uh, he said, you know, he doesn't want this to define him, define him. And uh, I thought Noah showed uh, outstanding maturity, uh, the kind we would expect from the sixth year's uh, senior defensive tackle. Uh, what were your thoughts on kind of how the day was handled, not only by him, but but Kirk Ferentz? It's an interesting topic, of course. I mean, this is the first time Kirk has talked since fall camp and really since the arrests took place. And I, I would say I would be more concerned with what's going on at Iowa State. I think there are more prominent names, names that are already there. Iowa's are a little less, you know, they're not here um, except for a few. Uh, but I think they've handled it completely differently. And I guess going to your point about Noah Shannon, he's always been a stand-up guy. He's always been a, a someone who I think is is uh, you know, people respect. And I, I think he displayed that considerably the other day. There doesn't seem to be, and according to him, no concern of a uh, of a legal perspective for him. I don't know that that's the case because it's apparent that Kirk Ferentz doesn't know that's the case. Cause when we were in Indianapolis, we didn't think that there were anybody betting on or against Iowa. And that turned out to be the, the completely wrong. Um, you know, Aaron Blom has been accused, um, you know, charged with that, with that 
offense. And, and then you have former players. I think Arlen Bruce was probably the most significant um, that, that have been in this situation. So, uh, you know, it remains to be seen. Now, I would say that, you know, there are some concerns about a couple of potential starters, including Noah Shannon. Um, but overall, it's more of an NCAA concern. And I think now that you've seen some charges really come out, that maybe this is what the NCAA needs to, to go forward in the other cases. Um, I'm only speculating in this, but overall, I thought Noah handled himself very well. And I, I'm not so sure that I feel the same way about Kirk. I think Kirk is either, either not well-informed or a little bit too much in the dark to really form some, some of the opinions maybe he shared on Friday. Yeah. I, I mean, he kind of said that had the funny line of, uh, you know, I'm a senior citizen. I can say whatever the hell I want. Um, yeah. So that was kind of, uh, it was amusing, but also, yeah, I, I don't know what we can really take from face value on that. I mean, basically, like you said, he said, you know, he didn't think anyone was betting on his team. And then you find out, yeah, Aaron Blom, you know, allegedly did. Jack Johnson allegedly did. Arla Bruce allegedly did. Um, so this is not, um, you know, that's that's not a good look. And uh, I think it has to be, I'm sure he's pissed, right, that a play, a play, an offensive player for his son, you know, was betting unders on the Hawkeyes. And, you know, and his, his and I'm not, saying there was any correlation. Uh, I know he was banged up last year, but his production did really tail off last year. So it just has to irk those guys. Um, so I'm sure that's part of Ference kind of speaking out a little bit out of frustration, maybe that um, this is going on. But, um, you know, I think hopefully if you're a Hawkeye fan, you just you just don't get any more bad news in terms of lineups. I think I think it's fair to assume Shannon's probably going to miss some time. Um, we'll find out for sure, but, uh, it's, you know, he would have, he would have had to bet a really low amount and not mm. on football to, to stay, you know, avoid suspension. And, uh, if there are other players, then, you know, I think you have to mentally prepare for up to a half season without some of these guys. So we'll get into some of the depth, uh, on the roster, maybe a little bit later, Scott, but I just, but this is kind of breaking news. Hawkeyes are number 25 in the mm. AP poll. That just came out a few minutes ago. So they they do crack the top twenty five. They'll have a little. I think they'll have a little twenty five next to their name, right during that first game. I think they use the AP for that. Yeah, they do. And then the next one, as you know, since you're the new voter for this state, uh, you'll be able. You'd have to wait until after Labor Day night. You know that first time, mm -hmm. first week. So they don't really revote after week zero. It's uh, after the first one. So yeah, I was going to be ranked, and the, and they deserve it. I mean, to win eight games last year with the offense as rough as it was, and certainly we can, <laughs> we will go into it, um, but to have an elite level defense, because frankly, that was an elite level defense. I mean, you're playing two playoff teams um, and you're playing some pretty good offenses as well. And to be able to do what you're able to do, um, I thought said spoke volumes about the defense, but you know, it's a reworked offense. There's a lot still there that needs to be redone. But overall, I think that 25 is fair. I was a little bit, I, I don't know, you know, Wisconsin to me has, has kind of been pushed back to the top in the, in the West. And I'm, I'm kind of like, eh, I'll believe it when I see it because redoing their offense and playing that style of football is foreign <laughs> to, to mm -hmm. people in Madison. So um, 
you know, we've seen a lot of really great G5 coaches, PJ Fleck, Scott Frost, some others, you know, come up and do great, you know, do and work in the Big Ten. And some of, you know, Fleck's been pretty good. And Frost was the, the biggest flop in Big Ten history. And then I think you look at now with, you know, what what is Luke Fickle going to do? And, and that's that with Phil Longo, you know, somebody he's never really worked with before with an air raid with a in a style and a climate that I, I'm a little color me skeptical, Chad, on that one. So but uh, another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You vote. Where did you vote, Iowa? I voted Iowa 22, and I did vote Wisconsin 19. Um, kind of how I approached the poll was kind of who deserved to be there, I felt like. And I felt like just, uh, you know, like, for example, I had, uh, I think Ohio State's going to win the East, for example. But I did vote Michigan ahead of Ohio State just because they've they've got the upper hand. they got the better roster. I still think I would give Ohio State the slight edge just based on um, it's, you know, I don't know if Michigan can do it three years in a row. So that, but I, it, it's again, I mean, once the game starts, you know, the criteria changes completely. It's just like, you know, who, who does look the best, who, who looks like the better teams out there. So um, I picked Iowa to win the West. I think, uh, you know, folks that have seen that know that, but as far as I felt like, you know, reputation of the program, I, I mean, the uh, pedigree of the head coach, I, I, I do feel like Wisconsin's probably the, the slight favorite and they are uh, by odds makers. So uh, Michigan ends up two. Ohio State three, Penn State seven, and it looks like Wisconsin is 19 in the preseason poll. And then Iowa's the fifth Big Ten team at 25. So there you have it. Uh, Scott, let's uh, let's shift into the main course, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's our central topic of today's show, and it's going to be the state of the Iowa offense, which changed completely back on December 1st when Cade McNamara announced his commitment to the program. That's been, what, nine and a half months now? And we're now 19 days away from the season opener against Utah State. I know you and I will surely be monitoring you know, the drive for 325 as it pertains to Brian Ferentz's contract. But uh, I thought it might be fun to kind of go through each position group, what we've learned from interviews at Media Day, what we saw on Saturday. And uh, for me, as much as we know about Iowa, that it cannot afford to be without Caden McNamara, it starts up front. Uh, this is the number one issue for this team, in my opinion, to not only score those 25 points per game, but actually become an offense that can truly play complementary football like they continue to talk about. I mean, it's, it's just his <laughs> – I don't know what you would call it, but it's the opposite of complementary football <laughs> when you have the number one defense and the second-to-last offense. So uh, I guess let's start with the O-line, Scott. I mean, from what I, I've seen, you know, I'm optimistic. I think every position left to right should be better than it was a year ago. But I still – you know, after what I saw Saturday, I'm still concerned about this position group. I just – I'm skeptical that they can make a big jump, as Kirk Ferentz has kind of talked about. 
I'm probably less skeptical that, than you are on this, but I don't know that they could be good. I think they will be better. I think they could be decent. I think they could be productive, but I'm not sure they could be good. Now, you know, we in Iowa tend to always seem to look back at some sort of past to, to you know, we're like Nostradamus when it comes to figuring out different things like, well, what happened back then is going to propel this to now. And, and I guess if there is a comparison that I've looked at, Chad, it was 07 to 08. And, and I think there are parallels, but we're talking people and people aren't exactly math when it comes to this. And that is in 07, they allowed 46 sacks. Uh, Jake Christensen completed about 50% of his passes. It was, they had a good running back in Albert Young, but just was an injured, depleted, young, inexperienced offensive line that couldn't do anything. They went six and six. Their defense wasn't as good as last year's Iowa defense. So that really, to me, and then the next year, Sean Green returns after a year from uh, doing deliveries for McGregor uh, uh, Furniture <laughs> and going to Kirkwood Community College, um, comes back, runs for a school record, 1,850 yards, 20 touchdowns, wins the Dope Walker, unanimous first-team All-American. The offensive line started off so-so, and in fact – the kids' day scrimmage that year was the biggest bludgeoning I've ever witnessed in my life. The wow. defense absolutely murdered them. If, if Sean Green gained five yards total, I'd been surprised because I've never seen that before and since then, obviously. Um, but you also remember who was on their defense, and it mm-hmm. makes sense. However, um, I look at this unit, and I think that there are some comparisons that are apt. I did like the left side of the line the other day. I thought they competed. I thought they opened some holes. I watched some of the pass rushing with, um, you know, how did they, you know, I was really concerned with how they were going to handle Graves and and YA Black because I think they are NFL guys. And I liked what I saw. I liked the way that they moved. I liked the way they they come up. Now, that's not to say that they didn't get in there because they did. That's a good unit. However, um, I am concerned a little bit about the right side of the line. I, you know, Jennings Dunker looks like a modern day Goliath, um, you yeah. know, but, but the slingshot went right around him a few times. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I think, um, you know, is that going to be his best position? Can he handle speed rushers? Because he'll have to find that out very, very quickly, you know, probably as soon as week two against Iowa State. Um, if not, he's, he's going to have to, as you know, kick inside the guard. Which, right. may, which may not be his worst position, but I'm, I'm anxious to see how that kind of works out. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, we, we get rusty <laughs> Feth maybe being the right guard and Dejon Parker at, at right tackle or Nick Young or Jennings, maybe that was just a bad day and he missed a couple of blocks and he understands what he's doing too. Um, but overall I'm optimistic I, that they'll be decent and that's maybe all they might need for a little while because I am a very optimistic about the running game. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, to me, right tackle is, is my number one concern because Dejon Parker was not available for practice. It just seems like uh, health has just not been kind to him thus far, and and he's kind of uh, one of the two guys they've got earmarked for that spot, the other being Jennings Dunker. You know, do they have to, uh, I don't know if panic is the right word, but just sort of go back to, the most reliable option they have there, which is Nick DeYoung, 
And, uh, you know, frankly, you know, just right tackle has been such a huge problem the last two years. You just can't have that again uh, to have one, a, a glaring weak spot off the edge. Uh, but I like your 2007 comparison. That's one, um, you know, I've kind of looked at as well. I mean, you, you think a, a great example on that line would be like Brian Bulaga, you know, kind of a rotational left guard that year you could maybe even maybe you could stretch and, and think of him as a as a connor colby okay like a year younger and then you know the next year he becomes you know a starting left tackle and, a, and frankly played at a, a very high level and then the, the following year was uh, at a very high level and got drafted in the first round so um you know that's the type of jump kirk ference wants to see from the Connor Colby's of the world, uh, the Mason Richmond's of the world, even, I mean, who, who is a two-year starter, but was, uh, he told me he was playing hurt all last year. He got he hurt was. in August and, and, uh, you know, was out four to six months with knee surgery. So Iowa just was patch it together last year. You know, they had, uh, they just had guys improve from 07 to 08. I mean, you look at Callaway, uh, you look at Brueggemann kind of, and solidified things at center and, and allowed Eubanks to be more of a rotational guy that in 08. So, um, I, it just seemed like the depth was better in 08. And I think that's where George Barnett was kind of stressing to me the other day is he likes that they have competition in the room. I mean, you've got Connor Colby, a two-year starter, who's competing for the sp- starting job against Rusty Feth right now, left guard. Mm-hmm. And then on the at the right guard spot, you got Bo Stevens and Nick DeYoung. I mean, that's a young mm-hmm. guy and a veteran. They feel great about Logan Jones. I still want to see it to believe it. Uh, and then, you know, right tackle we talked about. So I guess we'll see. I. I believe Kirk Ferentz, right? Like as an offensive line guy, he should, if he's bullish, I'm I'm happy to be cautiously bullish, I guess. Yeah, and there are areas where you just kind of go, you know, maybe you roll your eyes with when a coach brings up, but with Kirk, when he talks offensive line, you kind of have to. He's earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to this, and I think, you know, what I see is, do I see Mason Richmond equals Brian Bulaga? Not quite but I think he's capable and in quality and, you know, going back to, you know, five, six, seven years ago, when you look at, you know, when they started, you know, Boone Myers and Ike Butker and Cole Croston. And, mm-hmm. and I think Richmond's in that category, maybe even a little bit more talented. Um, I saw a lot that I liked of Logan Jones the other day. I, I thought, okay, he, to me, he's turned the page. He's, you know, they've been talking him up for a while, but, um, he showed a lot in a pass pro to me that made me go, okay, this, and he's so quick, you know, and I know that was his big issue last year was he he was thinking a lot and it made sense. And he kept hearing about how Tyler Linderbaum was so quick off the ball and, and that's what he was trying to do. And that's why they snap always screwed up. And, but now he's been able to do that. And of course he squats 700 pounds. So (laughs) that's incredible. But, but, but when you look at, you know, the other thing is, you know, they were all pretty much sophomores. I mean, all but 13 starts up front last year were by underclassmen, you know, and Jack Plum was was one of them and Nick DeYoung. I mean, Nick DeYoung came as a non-scholarship guy. Jack Plum, um, you know, just didn't quite develop into that key starter that you needed at, at, you know, late in his career. So all these guys are building and you see it from time to time that, you know, Kirk says it all the time. You can't can't microwave these guys. And now that they are juniors and they are two-year starters, and then you got Bo Stevens who started ten games, who probably at best should have been a rotational guy and probably more than likely shouldn't have played. Now they've got experience, and now they can go seven or eight or you know deep and feel like okay, if somebody gets hurt or whatever, that they can rotate. That to me puts them in a pretty good spot because 
There were times. And we, the other part we forget is they played seven out of the top 14 defenses in the country mm-hmm. in total defense. And then, uh, then the number two overall in practice every day. So there was eight that they saw all the time. Um, that's not going to be the case this year. You are listening to the Legends and Listeners podcast with Chad Leistico and Scott Docterman live from the Channel Seed Studios. I want to remind you that Circa Sports is the exclusive sports betting app of Iowa everywhere. Circa provides sports betting the way it should be with the highest limits, the lowest holds, and the best odds. Download the app today in the App Store or at CircaSports.com. Scott, I checked today, and if you want to bet Ohio State over Iowa in the Big Ten title game, which is my pick this year, you can get that at plus 800 odds. So uh, I want to talk about let's, – let's flip to uh, bullish odds. Uh, the, the top two position groups of this offense, uh, I think we would both agree on, but I'm curious if you put them in the same tier, tight end and running back. I'm really high on both these groups because they both have star p- potential and depth. Do you put them in the same tier? You're on mute, man. <laughs> Early hey, podcast uh, jitters, right? Yeah. COVID era <laughs> returns, right? Sorry about yeah. that. Um, but I, I put, I think the, the running back position has a little bit more depth, but I think that the, the tight end has legitimate NFL players. So I think when you look at Eric All and Luke Lachey, I think they could be equal in production to what the tight end position had last year, which was really good. I mean, Sam Laporta, you know, really one of the more underrated players Iowa's ever had. And the more and more I've watched, uh, watched him and, and kind of gone back through and then realized what, the, what the offense was without him. He might've been the best tight end of, of this era of the recent era. You know, he might, I, I don't know why I would put Hawkinson or fan above him. I think, you know, it's just his, it was unfortunate that, he didn't have Amir Smith-Marset and some of the other players around him. Uh, but I really like the tight end. I think those two, you know, as long as they don't consider one a specialist and keep them off the field, um, I, I think that they'll be all right. I, to me, you know, we saw it on Saturday that they went heavy 12 personnel yeah. almost exclusively. And if they go between 65 and 75% of their snaps with two tight ends, that's a winning strategy. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm I'm super high on the running backs as well. Then Caleb Johnson, mm-hmm. you know, certainly a number one, and then just the fact that you've got a veteran like Alishon Williams and Jazzy and Patterson. I mean, I thought every time we've seen him that he shows some bursts. So yeah, it's nice to have that depth there uh, because you know injuries usually do occur at that position. So you know, as far as offensive skill position, I feel like uh, you know if that offensive line can take that step forward, they'll be able to get those maybe four or five yards on first down that were so elusive, you know, the last several years and, and make the quarterback's job easier, which gets us to quarterback, Scott. I mean, uh, I think we kind of talked about him a little bit, but who is he going to be throwing to? Uh, three of the five scholarship guys that have color, college experience to me, um, the ones that practiced, I mean, the other day, all looked pretty encouraging to me. I thought Deontay Vines looked the part. He's finally healthy. Seth Anderson, uh, have heard great things about him from mm-hmm. camp, and I was not disappointed whatsoever. And I know every fan out there is like, what about Caleb Brown? Come on, get him out there. But I thought yeah, he's behind these guys. He's learning the learning the system, learning the offense. And what I saw out there was you know, in, in the wide receiver lines, you know, very athletic, good hands. And then that 20-yard catch to me in traffic from Cade, that showed me a lot, and it makes me feel like, 
I think the top four, Scott, is going to be Vines, Anderson, Regaini, and eventually Caleb Brown. That is kind of where I, I, I land. And I feel pretty encouraged about that that group right now. I do too. I, you know, I'm not ready to, to, to crown them like uh, from <laughs> Iowa. Uh, Bears reference. Uh, yeah. First Bears reference on the podcast. There you go. Uh, former Iowa defensive back, Denny Green, once said about the Bears. But no, I, I do think that what I saw was it was a capable unit and making good catches. Probably, I was probably a little bit more impressed with them than I thought I would be, especially Seth Anderson. I thought, okay, wow, this guy's – this guy's legit. Um, and then Deontay Vine seems to be taking steps forward. That's really important for that position. They need him to be there. And, uh, you know, Nico, Nico gets set out for us at camp and he'll come in and he'll be a baller, you know, and he's got 125 catches. I went back and looked through, <laughs> through the, uh, remember the, the holiday bowl before we all came back with holiday bowl COVID, um, right before the whole thing started. But yeah. you look at the receivers on the field, you know, Amir won the, the award for MVP. You know, draft pick Drake London, uh, um, Amon Ross State, St. Brown was tremendous. Um, let's see, uh, Michael uh, Pittman. Pittman, yeah, Valus Jones, you know, before he transferred to Tennessee <laughs> and then ended up with the Bears. Yeah. Uh, Sam Laporta, you know, you've got some really big weapons in the pass game, and he was he finished tied for second in, in receiving yards that game a million years ago. So I, I think he'll be fine. I like this unit a lot. I'm not sure they have that X that they need, you know, the tall guy, it might be vines. Cause he's probably the biggest, thickest and most knowledgeable of that. Um, you know, but I think they can survive that, especially if the offensive line comes around, protects Caden McNamara and they can run the football then that. And then, then they have the tight ends. So I I'm not as concerned that wide receiver needs to be a weapon as much as it is just get the ball in their hands and let them do some stuff once in a while. Um, that's where I am. But if I had Chad, if, if I had a biggest question mark right now after what I saw Saturday, it's probably backup quarterback, frankly. If Kane yeah. McNamara goes down, yep. Uh, I, I was probably more encouraged after the spring game. I thought that they had a really decent opportunity there. I'm probably on the other side of the fence now after what I saw Saturday. Yeah, same, same here. Uh, I think I had Deacon L for three interceptions. Um, and, you know, you just don't want to get to that point. Uh, he, he, he might be a fine number two, and uh, Labus can maybe battle him out for two uh, as things go on here, but uh, you got to keep Kate healthy. And so that, again, it circles back to what I said is the most important thing, which is that offensive line has to be, has to be decent. Uh, we've only got about 10 minutes left or so, Scott, in our timeline, but I did want to pick your brain before we finish the offensive conversation about your interview with Brian Ferentz. You got uh, the only sit down with Brian this summer. Uh, I know uh, you guys talked about the 25 points per game thing. I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts were in terms of what you heard from him, what you've seen. Do you think that 25 points per game is going to be attainable and what are kind of, how do you feel like he's kind of processing all this? I think with with Brian and I do think probably with the entire staff, starting with Kirk and also with Brian, is they've kind of gone to a little bit of a bunker mentality. And, um, you know, because it's just been so overwhelmingly negative, you know, rightly or wrongly, but it is that it's like we can't win anybody over. 
we're just going to kind of get back to ourselves and not worry about what anybody else thinks. And we're just not going to put ourselves out there anymore. And, you know, when I caught Brian, he was just returning from a vacation and, and we had a really interesting depth conversation comparable to some that you've had there. When we talked about the 25 points per game, he's like, he goes, I hope people didn't think that that's my idea. I don't think it's a good idea. And, and that's pretty, seems pretty obvious that there was a lot of discussion some that he would go into on record and some maybe he would prefer not to, to talk about it in a different way. But, you know, some of the, the issues that I think make sense is, first of all, I understand from Gary Barta's point of view why you would do that. You know, the offense has stunk the last two years, no question, especially last year. And fans have been very vocal in wanting to move. And he could do that, but – you know, you've, you've also got, you know, a statue type coach and you can't you go over his head for his staff on his son. That is an unwinnable situation. So he wanted to, to try to extract something to show people that, hey, I'm doing something here. But the way it was done was was stupid, frankly, and clumsy. And it makes Iowa a laughing stock. And it's something that's going to get brought up all the time this fall, not only by in Iowa, but everywhere. When people when you know, the first time they punt. Hey, Iowa, you're going to, you know, get that 25, the drive for 325. We talked about graphics at the athletic and they know we could put up for this, <laughs> you know, how sad is that? Um, it's something that absolutely, I think they attain. I, I mean, unless Kate McNamara goes down and two linemen go down with him, I think it's something that they, you know, cause his first four years, they averaged 29 points a game. And, and the thing that I try to bring up, not to try to shield Brian, but just try to explain this is, his first quarterback was Nate Stanley, who had 68 touchdowns over three seasons, the most for any quarterback in Iowa history over three seasons. In the last three years, they've had a total of 28. Players matter, you know, and mm-hmm. it's not all on him. Now, you know, we could question his play calling in certain situations, and I will, and I have, and you will, and you have, but I think that overall, schematically, there needs to be adjustments. I think they realize that. And they have made some some differences. I know I talked to John Bud Meyer. I know you did too, to kind of go through some of those. But overall, um, you know, I think he's he's bullish on his team. He's trying to be a little bit more guarded. Um, but you know, there's it, it's he's in a tough spot. And and frankly, writing that story, I just went. Here we go, because I just know what the reaction is from Iowa fans. They do not want to read anything other than. You know, Brian Ferentz has been executed on the courthouse. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh, man. Uh, good way to finish. So, yeah, I mean, I just feel, yeah, I feel, I feel the same way. I feel like, um, you know, everyone's kind of banding together. Uh, I think they know it's going to be better and they're just going to let it play out. Um, again, they can't lose the quarterback, can't yeah. lose the quarterback. So uh, that, that was the other thing that raced in my mind about 1.17 p.m. on Saturday was, oh, boy, 25 points a game is not going to yeah. be easy if, if Gabe McNamara is out. Uh, we've got a few minutes left. Let's hit a couple of these uh, out the door here. I don't know if you want to call them desserts or, <laughs> you know, maybe a yeah. little cocktail or something. But uh, conference realignment, we can't ignore that in our first podcast together. Uh, you've been working so hard on, on that at The Athletic. You know, I've written a, a few columns on the re- at the register on that. Uh, we could hit any number of angles here. We've got time for probably one. So what in terms of what are you looking at as the most important issue 
in Big Ten expansion right now as we head towards next season with the 18-team league involving USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington? I think schedule is going to matter, you know, how they redo it. I don't think it's going to be – it's really only going to need some tweaks because um, I expect that the way the Big Ten is going to do it, at least initially, is have all four of those teams play each other, and they probably should from a, a logistical perspective. Because then even if you – because if you've got five games – I mean, think about this. If, if, you, if you're traveling and you're from USC or Washington and you've got five road games – you're, you know, if you're playing two road games on the West Coast, that only limits you to three. Maybe you can have one before the start of school. You know, just I, I think scheduling logistics we're, from a football perspective, I think is going to be really impactful early. I don't think much is going to change. Like Iowa may not. I'm just throwing it out there. May not play at USC. Maybe they'll play at Oregon or Washington instead. That type of thing. Sure. Um, and I, I think that's probably first how they handle championship game is going to be really major i'm glad that there's an expanded playoff because if there wasn't then this would be topic one two and three because mm-hmm. you're going to get ties and maybe you'll have opportunities for team three and four that are in that category maybe there's a three-way tie at eight and one or seven and two and uh you'll be able to kind of mess around with that but i think overall this is going to be you know who's going to play in the championship game is going to matter and then finally for Iowa, um, it elevated the middle class. Um, these are, uh, when, when we looked at Maryland and Rutgers, I think everybody went, so, you know, <laughs> you know, at least in football right. and, and in all sports pretty much, especially with Rutgers. Um, so now you're looking at Washington and Oregon and, and USC in particular, those three, and then also UCLA. And you're thinking, okay, you've got, this is going to, this isn't going to be easy. It's going to elevate the entire league, which, which helps Iowa. And I, and I don't care, you know, if you're USC and you're coming to Iowa, we know what that steel cage is like. We've seen it with Ohio state. They're the, Iowa's the only team to beat every team in the East during the East West era, but you're going to also have to go there and that's not going to be easy. So Iowa, if Iowa continues to recruit at the level it has for the last five or six years and, and develop its offense, and, and maintain the consistency on defense. It'll be fine. It'll lose those games, some of those games, but it'll win them too. But, you know, those are kind of the three takeaways immediately for me. Chad, what do you think? Because I know you have a, a lot of perspective on this too. Yeah, I mean, I I personally, I mean, it doesn't affect me as a student athlete, traveling, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I personally like it just from the competitiveness aspect. Uh, I've said this a few times on other podcasts and, and our own, but uh, I'd rather watch Iowa, Oregon at Autzen Stadium than Iowa, Indiana at Bloomington. You're just going to get like more of those types of games instead of Iowa records. You're still going to have Iowa records here and there, but you're also going to have Iowa, Washington, and you're going to have Ohio State, Washington. You're going to mm-hmm. have you know fewer Ohio State records games. Uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. just I think overall it's just a lot more fun. Um, I think it fits great with the new TV contract, and I, I frankly love the idea as a consumer to have that big noon game we're talking eastern time 3 30 yeah. game you know seven o'clock game and then your 10 30 eastern time game which is 9 30 for us after we're done with our hawkeye yeah. game <laughs> or we're covering that late one maybe some, one of those days but you know you can turn on some big 10 after dark and you know heck maybe you see you're watching a minnesota at ucla game or Something like that, you know. It's just, it's just fun. It's just fun as a Big Ten fan. You don't really need to tune into other conferences, honestly. So, mm-hmm. um, I like it. I like it personally. And I, 
I also, I know we're going long here, but I, first of all, the conference championship thing, I, the conference championships are, are going to be mostly meaningless unless you just give that automatic buy to the, mm-hmm. to the winner. So give them a top four seed and you don't get a top four seed if you don't, um, something like that. Uh, but I, you know, I feel like that the harder schedule is going to help ultimately Iowa's playoff case if they get to that 10, 11, 12 range of, in the future. Because what was the criticism in 2015? Well, they didn't play anybody. Yeah. They're not get, that's never going to be a, an issue anymore, right? It shouldn't and, be. I can't imagine it would be unless they just oh, got the easiest draw possible. But uh, to me, the opportunity is going to be there every year to play yourself into the playoff is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, if Iowa goes – even 12 and 0 and loses in the championship game, it's not getting to the playoff this year because of the big 10 West. And unfortunately that's, that's reality and perception is reality. But when you throw those four teams in there in a, in a true cycle here, I think this, this is going to be, you know, something really unique and, you know, and, and Fox ponying up, you know, 60 plus million dollars a year to add Washington and Oregon means that there will be more Friday night games for sure. A hundred percent and Saturday after dark. Now there won't be as many Saturday after darks. Uh, it'll basically be all those you you know those four teams playing home games on Saturday nights, and then uh, maybe a sprinkle in a game or two during the season. But Friday night, count on it. There's going to be mm-hmm. you know, and now I don't know if it'll be at Kinnick, but um, but we've seen you know Friday night in Maryland, and, and those yeah. so that's going to be in every week. It's not going to be like twice a year thing. Indiana, so, Minnesota, I would think mm-hmm. all the West Coast teams would be on the table for that. Yeah, absolutely, they are. Absolutely, they are. So, no, I, I and I agree with you. And then you know, one last word. I know we are running long, but I'm sorry. Okay. Is just the other sports. Um, basketball is going to be interesting to see how this develops. I do think though, adding the other two helps logistically not hurts it because it allows those other teams like let's say they stick with a 20 game schedule i think it makes sense for the big 10 to just say you know what you four teams play each other twice home and home Mm -hmm. just make it easier for them and it makes it easier for everybody else you can still be in the same conference you can still play them but don't be wedded to this everybody plays everybody the same amount of times it's just not it's not feasible right now when you're a national conference with 18 teams Absolutely. Well, Scott, uh, let's skip our last topic for this week because I guarantee we can come back to it next week. We're going to talk about the new era of Beth Getz as interim AD, but we're potentially going to hear from her later this week. So I have a feeling we can talk about that on next week's show uh, on Iowa Everywhere. Uh, Thanks for joining us for the Legends and Listeners podcast, everyone. Scott, why don't you give us a quick rundown of anything you're working on at The Athletic, and I'll do the same for the Register, and uh, we'll let everyone go. Yeah, I wrote uh, today about Caleb Johnson and, uh, you know, kind of the Greek god physique that he has, and but his, his aspirations of being a, uh, you know, one of the best running backs I was ever had, and, and he's got that potential. So I've got that, a few other feature stories I'm working on, along with uh, a Big Ten money story. So uh, that's kind of what's in the near term for me. And how about you, Chad, at the register? Yeah, um, you know something I am exci- I was excited to do the other day, and I know you did as well. Was was talk to John Budmeyer. I mean, here's a name in the program um, that has been an influence, no question about it, for more than 12 months, probably closer to 18 now. And uh, you know, kind of to hear him, what his influence has been with the program and what he thinks of Brian Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz, whatnot. So I'm kind of working on that. Um, 
you know, there's, you know, we'll have our usual Hawk Central podcast uh, on Wednesday. So uh, kind of a, you know, nothing changes with our day jobs. I just want to stress that between myself at the register and, and Scott at the athletic, but we're just thankful uh, for this opportunity to be on the Iowa Everywhere Network and appreciate uh, you, my friend, for wanting to do this with me. I think yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm very excited, Chad, to go through this season with you and do this. And then, you know, even in the off season, because there's so many topics there. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we get some good stuff to, to write about and talk about. And, and uh, hopefully there aren't any, you know, existential crises that seem to be <laughs> springing up yeah. from time to time. Yeah, we could use it. Just, let's just go a little while without some of those. Yeah. Yes, that'd be nice. All right, folks. Thanks again. We will have another episode dialed up for you next week as fall camp comes to a close at Iowa. And we will be, uh, I guess it's just 17 days from now, we'll be in our regular game week rotation on the Iowa Everywhere Network. I think our show is going to be on Thursday either late morning, early afternoon, that type of thing. So stay tuned for that. For Scott Docterman, this is Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register saying so long and talk to you next week. Iowa everywhere.